Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 138. I'm Elaine Charles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we have a bad video of the billing nightmare in the bouncy castle. It's weirder by the minute. But what better way to start the news of Apple Gear being bricked? Recent news of the original HomePod being bricked by an update. Now, these are the original larger HomePods, not the new dinky ones. Initially, it looked like a beta issue, but as more and more reports came in, it wasn't limited to the beta. One user reported losing seven HomePods from a collection of 19, clearly channeling his inner me with that many HomePods. I was about to say, who needs that many HomePods? But then I thought about how many A-Ladies we have. That is very true. And the queen of A-Ladies is on our landing. She has the hearing of a bat. She can hear a whisper at the end of next door's garden when she feels like it. But have you noticed, strangely, she can't hear you screaming at her from six inches away. It's a woman thing. Anyway, bad news with this HomePod bricking, though, because it's actually damaging the hardware. And Apple aren't in the business of helping you out with this either. Best advice was to unplug them until the next software update. I love that. Well, it's like, it's like you bought it, but don't worry, you don't need it. The idea of that, the unplugging thing, is to prevent damage to the logic board. Uh, the developer beta is the culprit. And if you're not a developer, you shouldn't be installing it. But often you can find the link on sharing sites. Now, don't be tempted, folks. Not ever. If you're not a licensed developer and you've installed the rogue update, Apple won't assist you. If you are a licensed developer, you can contact Apple Developer Team for further assistance. But, you know, as ever, good luck with that. A new version of the update was released a few days ago. But needless to say, the release notes didn't make mention of the bricking. And how is this still a thing? Do you remember? I'm sure it was over 10 years ago. It happened with iPhones. Every, every now and then there'd be an update and it'd be like, oh, shiny update. And luckily, you know, if you were really lucky, you checked Twitter before you did it and you found 50,000 reports of bricked iPhones. But it's years ago. You'd like to think Apple had learned lessons, but it seems not. So beta or not, no software should be able to nuke hardware. If your developers can't do better than that, they need sacking. Have they not heard of testing? <laughs> Well, I'd like to think so, but clearly not. That actually reminds me of that Adobe Premiere book uh, a couple of years ago, which caused speakers to blow. I think it was in MacBooks. Do you remember that one? Oh, I'd forgotten that, but you're right. Now, now you've reminded me. Yes, you're right. And I think you said at the time, how is that possible? Well, clearly, <laughs> I've got programmers capable of that. But it's clearly another classic example of coders promoted above their competence. Ah, so shall we go on to better news? Oh, dear me. Mm. Tech fail strikes again. Uh, This one reminiscent of the sad, sorry tale of Wilson. Who remembers Wilson? It was from MacBite 78. We received a letter way back in October 2013 from a pet registry. And it was informing us that we'd successfully completed the registration of our cat, Wilson. 
Hmm. Despite ringing the vet and the pet registry to try and reunite Wilson virtually with his rightful owner, we never found any trace of either of them. So as I pointed out back then, if the registry didn't know where Wilson was before he was lost, heaven help them if he ever actually was lost. So fast forward eight years and surely things have improved. I wouldn't bet on it. No, it's sounding just like the last story with different words, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> well, this time it's another pet registry called Petlog. Run by the Kennel Club, no less, and they've got nine million pets registered with them. They installed an update in March and it left owners unable to see details of their pets. Over three months on, and it's a saga that's still rumbling on. Petlog have requested that owners complete additional forms, but still nothing they can't get in. Then, if they're still having problems, more forms and a request for £17 to process the paperwork. Just a minute. Really? It's their mistake in the first place. But never mind. If that was where it ended, it'd be badly annoying. But you just know it had to get worse. So with no access, usernames and passwords were failing. Folks got told they had no accounts. Anybody who could log in was able to see other users' accounts. A cat owner reporting she went on the site to re-register her pet and found she'd acquired a horse. It wasn't called Wilson, was it? Well, it could have been Shergar for all the registry knew, and it didn't even end there. Next was a dog owner told that the dog was no longer registered, but they'd acquired a dead cat. I mean, for crying out loud, there are no words. It should be a simple matter to create a database like this. But this is what I'm always saying. This is why not everybody should code. Not everybody should be allowed to code. All these code camps need to ensure that the students can discern requirements before diving into coding and making a monstrosity like this. I can't believe this rubbish is still happening in 2021. It's not like computers are new or anything. Needless to say, a million excuses from the company, basically claiming that any errors were due to them receiving incorrect information from the users. Now, quite how that explains the registration of the dead cat to a dog owner remains a mystery, apparently. And the horse? That too, apparently. Do you know, if we thought we had it bad eight years ago when Wilson arrived, at least they didn't send us a horse. <laughs> Shall we move on to something that resembles sanity? Why not? Although it was surprising. Uh, a somewhat surprising announcement. Uh, Smile Software have sold PDF Pen to Nitro. Nitro being the makers of several Windows-based PC tools. All sold at what I like to call Windows prices. £158.99 per seat. You can get one-off licences for 1 to 20 seats, but beyond that, it's a subscription. So, at £158.99 a seat, it'll take me a while to recover from that, I'm afraid. Uh, no details of what we can expect from the acquisition of PDF Pen. Uh, and, and it's both versions as well. It's for macOS and iOS. I know that we're trialling Nitro at work as a replacement for Acrobat, so I'm wondering if that means that all the Mac users are going to get PDF Pen. Watch this space. Mm, more likely a large bill. Anyway, oh no, we're going back to bad tech. 
There's a theme in this show, clearly. The Microsoft Windows 11 launch. Or, to be more precise, the appalling Windows 11 launch video. Yep, it was a video. It wasn't even live. It failed within minutes. I've, I've forgotten the guy's name. You probably know it. But you know the one that makes everybody nervous? I've forgotten his name. But yes, I know the one you mean. He has... The- And I don't want to be disparaging about what people look like. And it's not that. It's the fact that he doesn't smile. He's just got this kind of weird, intense look on him. And and it makes you nervous. It's not good. It's never good. But this was even worse. He'd eventually got going, but it failed for about... I think it was about 20 minutes, wasn't it? Before they actually rectified it all. And, we, and it was jumping backwards. So not only was he freaking you out like a character from a horror film, but he was doing it three and four times as everything caught up. But once it all settled down, um, it was more of a paint job than anything revolutionary. They've moved the home button. It's got Tablet OS written all over it. But the most interesting thing about the entire thing wasn't even mentioned. Or at least it wasn't mentioned in the way that it was red flagged. And that is something called TPM, Trusted Platform Module. It's a tiny chip on the motherboard, separate from the main CPU and the memory. And it's an authenticator chip. And it kicks in when you first press the power button on a newer PC that uses full disk encryption and this chip, this TPM. The TPM supplies a unique code called a cryptographic key. Are we following along here? Uh, Under normal circumstances with a drive encryption, it gets unlocked and the computer starts up. But if there's a problem or an anomaly detected, the PC won't boot. Now, that's only a very basic level. But once the PC is booted, other apps can then hook into this TPM and it can be used to handle encrypted or key signed messages stuff like that. Apple doesn't use the term TPM, but the T2 functions as a TPM. So there's a load more information in the show notes, the links in the show notes. But needless to say, people are moaning about needing to buy a new machine. But they may be surprised to learn that since July 2016, I mean, that's five years already, Microsoft has actually required TPM 2.0 support on all new PCs that run any version of Windows for desktop. So home, pro, enterprise, education, whole lot. Um, Windows 11 is only going to run on PCs that have TPM capabilities, but quietly they've acknowledged support for TPM 1.2, but state it's not recommended. Now, 1.2, Microsoft have a name for that. Brace yourselves. Here's the quote. Devices that meet the soft floor will receive a notification that upgrade is not advised, Microsoft said. 1.2 being said soft floor. So like a bouncy castle then. Now, my first thought went to what happens with self-built PCs? You know me, I've built hundreds of them. Now, it's technically possible But you're going to waste a ton of time ensuring that the configuration is absolutely spot on for it to function correctly in all circumstances. It's one thing to have it working at at boot, but as it becomes more standard and other services need to access it, you know, on a self-built machine, that's going to be an issue. Biggest issue for us is, will it run on a Parallels VM? And it's looking like another case of wait and see. 
Well, Windows 10 retirement date isn't until 2025. So I think as long as I uh, don't update my VM to Windows 11, I'll be okay. And if I really want to experience Windows 11, I could create another VM. And I've got my Surface to fall back on. Uh, it's a Pro 6. It's the 2018 model, and that does have the TPM chip. And if all else fails, I'll go over to the dark side and buy a PC. The question that came to my mind was, why is it that most updates and upgrades these days do nothing but make it more difficult to actually just use the equipment. It's no wonder I get fraud. Oh, now I did find news of some new toys that didn't make me fraud. Uh, these are Anchor's pastel powered earbuds. I know. <laughs> Just the name, pastel powered earbuds. Uh, they're very similar to the AirPods Pro, uh, except that they come in five colours. Five rather dubious colours. Uh, the, the proper name is the Soundcore Life P3, but I do think pastel powered earbuds is, is far better. It's more descriptive. So these rather dubious colours are navy blue, a coral red, oat white, that's like white but just dirty, sky blue, black, and they're $79. You get seven hours of playback and 35 hours of listening time in the case. But the distinguishing feature is ANC, which is active noise cancelling. Now, I did have a pair of headphones that had noise cancelling. Uh, to be honest, it was the first pair of headphones that, that actually did work. They're Tatronics ones. Uh, but I had a slight issue with the pads on them. So I ended up getting another pair of headphones. Um, is it One Audio or On Audio? Audio. One Audio, I think they're called. Uh, and they did have active noise cancelling. So I thought, well, I'll do a comparison between the two. It's, it's actually very impressive. I know this because it's a bit warm today, isn't it, Mike? It's a very warm. Just a smidgen warm. So the two industrial fans behind me and the one smaller fan, but still quite large in front of me, these headphones and their active noise cancelling are getting a big test and they're very, very good. So does, does the Apple one have ANC or is it just standard noise cancelling? I mean, you know, Apple, that they call things weird stuff. I don't know. Talking of ANC, I had a meeting yesterday with a Microsoft and I had my little desk fan on and uh, my uh, work headphones with the, the built-in mouthpiece thing and he had the same and he said, can you hear my desk fan? I said, no. And uh, I said, can you hear mine? He said, no. And apparently Teams has got built-in ANC. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm. If only we did this show via Zoom. <laughs> That would work, or Teams, <laughs> instead yeah. of which I'm sat here dying. But carry on. Tell me about it. Going back to these... Um, the, these um, pastel-powered pasta, earbuds, Pastel-powered pastel -powered <laughs> earbuds, yes. <laughs> say it slowly. You I, can call them the Soundcore Life P3 if you prefer. No, no, I'll, I'll just call them the, the earbuds. I wouldn't be averse to having a pair of those. I'm not sure which colour I'd go for. They all look good. Maybe one of each. I have a feeling that's why there's so many colours. Uh, that people will be like, well, I quite like the red, but maybe the navy. And, and they'll just buy more than one. Mm, mm. Oh, just something different next, eh? This hasn't happened ever, has it? Note the sarcasm. Brace yourself for shocking news. 
Apple are involved in a lawsuit. Yes, another one. This time, though, it's in the UK. It's a patent licensing thing or patent, depending on where you live. But it's patent here. Optis Cellular are suing them for patent infringement. Apple say the claims are invalid as they cover standard cellular wireless technology. But the UK court have ruled in favour of Optis. It's a bit like Otis, isn't it? I wonder if Otis is involved. Uh, now, this means it's leaving Apple open to paying fees of up to seven billion for back infringements, which would still leave them open to having to negotiate a fee for every cellular enabled device sold worldwide going forward. Apple's response? Toys out of the pram. Apple's lawyer stated that if the fees are too high, Apple will, would withdraw all its products from the UK market. So, for all you line of duty fans out there, it was in effect Apple's emergency exit required moment. With Timmy trotting off over the English Channel astride the wee donkey. Dragging his kit behind him. Nothing like putting the customer first, hey, Timmy? Can somebody explain to me how leaving the UK market solves the problem of worldwide fees being required? Just a, just a little thought there. It doesn't. Can you see why I left the law? It's just nonsensical. I've had fun recently with O2. Now, O2 have been our mobile service provider for years, and every so often they send us upgrade offers. We also keep our eyes on their website for offers. In January 2020, an offer came on at £20 a month for 100 gig of data. At the time, we were paying £25 for a lot less data, so it was a no-brainer. We upgraded. As part of the deal, they offered a free extra. They gave us a choice, Amazon Music, Prime Video, Audible, or an international bolt-on. Now, we already have Amazon Music, Prime Video, Audible, so we chose to go for the international bolt-on. And this gives us international phone calls from our mobiles at very low rates. Now, by very low rates, I mean, for example, a call to the US was just 2p a minute. This extra expires after three years, so it would be January 2023. Although if I leave O2 or change to a different tariff, it also expires. So why would I need to make international phone calls? Well, as most of you know, I deliver training for a lot of US-based companies. For most of the training courses, I use computer audio. But there's a couple of companies where the audio is delivered via telephone. Sometimes the webinar company gives me a UK toll-free number, sometimes not. Back in November last year, I had to dial a US landline number to deliver a webinar, and it cost me £1.16 for 60 minutes. The full cost would have been £180. So you can see the benefit of this bolt-on. Recently, I had to dial into a webinar, and although the webinar company gave me a UK toll-free number, for some reason it didn't work. So I dialed in using the only number that I had, which was a US-based number. After the webinar, I wanted to check how much the call had cost. So I logged into my Oto account, and nothing was showing up, but there was a message that said I was eligible for an upgrade. 
you checked your account and you got exactly the same message. Now, as I said, we were currently paying at £20 a month for 100 gig of data. And there were two offers. One was £20 a month for 150 gig of data. And the other was £23 a month for unlimited data. So we discussed it over dinner and decided to go for the unlimited deal. Because we were taking out a new contract, the international bolt-on got cancelled. So at 8.45 that evening, I got an email confirming that it had been cancelled. But we also got the same extras with the new contract. So immediately, I re-signed up for the international bolt-on. And that gives me another three years of cheap international calls. Next morning, I got an email from O2. It said, your bill normally comes to £21, but this month you've already spent £236.88 more than that without VAT. So, a little bit of panic, I logged into my account. Yesterday's call had cost me £236. So, I rang O2 Customer Services, went through the security check. They asked me what my favourite sports team was and I had to read out the random string of letters and numbers that I'd set up as the answer. And I spoke to a customer service agent. It turns out that although at the time that I made the call, which was five o'clock, the international bolt-on was active on my account, the charge for the call was added to my account in the five minutes between ending the old contract and adding the international bolt-on to the new contract. The upshot is that the correct cost of the call was £1.88 and £234 was therefore credited back to my account. I actually had a similar issue a few years ago before I got the bolt-on. I had to dial a US number to deliver a webinar and it cost me £300. It was a toll-free number, but it turns out it was only toll-free when calling from the US. I told the webinar company afterwards that if they couldn't provide me with a UK-based toll-free number, I wouldn't be able to deliver training for them in the future. So they agreed to get me a toll-free number and reimburse me the £300. And six months later, they went out of business. But that was a whole different story. One of the things that we like to talk about on MacBytes is workflows, processes, and how improving them can increase productivity. And that's what I'm going to talk about now. As many of you know, I have a side hustle delivering online training started about five years ago when a couple of US-based training companies contacted me via LinkedIn. And the time difference between the US and the UK means that it doesn't interfere with my day job, as most of the training is delivered early evening UK time. Back when it all started, I had no process or system to deal with bookings and payments. Emails came in with a request for dates. So things like, can you run a pivot table session in October? I'd look at my calendar to see when I was free and I'd reply with three or four dates and time slots. The date and time got agreed and I created a new event in my calendar with the details. As time went on, I got contacted by more and more companies and got more and more requests for training. At one point, I was actually delivering two sessions a night, three days a week. And although I was grateful for the work, I was drowning in admin. 
I was still manually checking my calendar and manually adding bookings to it. But now I'd added more admin to the process. I'd created an Excel file, the main purpose of which was for tracking payments. So when a booking came in, I was manually adding the details to the calendar, but I was also manually adding the details to the Excel file. If the training got rescheduled or cancelled, I had to manually update the Excel file and the calendar. No wonder mistakes were made. I actually double booked myself on a couple of occasions. So a couple of years ago, I decided to do something about making the admin easier. I started by Googling scheduling software and booking software. I signed up for a trial with Book Like a Boss and one or two others, but in the end, none of them really did exactly what I wanted. So I turned my attention to WordPress plugins. Because our websites use WordPress as the underlying platform for managing content, I thought there might be something out there that could do the job. And I was right. After testing a few of them out, I settled on one called Weber Booking. It's $39 a year or $119 for a lifetime license, and that's for a single website. And once it's installed and configured, you simply add a short code to a new or existing WordPress page. When this page is displayed in a browser, a calendar and booking form generated by the shortcode are displayed. So say someone wants me to run a session on pivot tables in the first week of October. Once we've agreed on a date and time, I open the booking form page, select the date on the calendar, select the time slot, fill in the name of the company who booked me and the topic, pivot tables in this case, and click book. And this creates an appointment in one of my Google calendars. In fact, one of the main reasons that I chose Weber Booking is because it integrates with Google Calendar. As we've discussed many times before on MacBytes, we have quite a number of calendars. When I first started doing the training on a regular basis, I created a calendar called Mike's Availability. And that's where I manually added the details of the training sessions. So it made sense to connect Weber Booking to that one. The calendar shared with Elaine and we agreed that when I was manually creating the events, I would use a specific format for the event title. It started with MT Webinar, followed by the name of the webinar and the company I was delivering it for. And because Weber Booking lets you configure the structure of the text that goes into the calendar appointment, I was able to keep the same structure for the title. Sometimes a booking gets amended. The company or I need to change the date or time. I did that when Apple moved WWDC. Luckily, I was able to give the company a few weeks notice and they were very obliging. Sometimes a training session gets cancelled if they haven't sold enough places. If that happens, I log into the back end of WordPress and make the changes and the calendar gets automatically updated. Another reason for choosing Weber Booking is the myriad configurations options that it has. There's literally hundreds. Things like the ability to define specific days as non-bookable, so they appear greyed out on the calendar, and the ability to define the working day, which in my case is 6pm, 7pm and 8pm UK time.
This is one of those times where investing time and money has definitely made my life easier. By filling in a form in a browser, I get an appointment added to my calendar automatically. But, and this is a big but, the information also gets stored in a table in the WordPress database on the website. And because I can hook Excel up to that table, I can generate all sorts of reports, which I'll talk about in the next show. It's been a while, but there's something we need to do. Are you ready? Yes. Shall I count yes. you in? One, two, three. iPad, iPad, iPad. iPad, iPad. iPad. I'll fix it in post. It'll be fine. <laughs> the day after the last show was pre-order day. Oh, new incoming Mac. I was poised to purchase at 7.55am. 8am rolled round. Nothing. 8.01. Nothing. 8.02. Nothing. By five past, I was steaming. Which was when I did the Googles and discovered they weren't actually on sale until one o'clock in the afternoon UK time. So, after working all night, I headed off to bed for four hours. She was grumpy. I was not. Oh, yes, you were. OK, there's a possibility I might have been slightly grumpy. Anyway, if sleep deprivation wasn't enough, the purchase process was worse. In fact, it was even worse than the usual fiasco. The stores usually locked at least an hour before pre-orders start. This time it was open and you could breeze through the purchase process. I was actually at the point of claiming to be impressed. You could add anything you liked to the basket until the last page. And boom, the basket was nuked and you had to start all over again, repeatedly. Another thing Apple can't seem to get right. Then once I'd persuaded them to let me place an order, they promised release day delivery. Needless to say, that wasn't what happened. It was a swift bait and switch, meaning the mid-May date had changed to the end of June. I presume they meant this year, but I did check just in case. Uh, they, and then just to torment me, they sent me a mail proudly proclaiming that my order would be delivered the next day. Luckily, I didn't get too giddy. It was only part of the order, an Apple Pencil. That at least did arrive the next day as promised, but my shiny new 12.9 M1 iPad was but a distant hope. After the pencil, it was crickets. Weeks went by and nothing. Well, nothing if we discount the several times that I checked the progress of the order, only to discover that the Apple Store site was down. Not just for a few minutes either, sometimes 36 hours or more. I had hoped for the arrival to be somewhere near my birthday, but the way it was going, it was going to be nearer to my next birthday rather than this year's. In the vacuum, of course, we did have WWDC to look forward to. Don't mention the lack of new toys there. Especially to the folks who'd sold their MacBook Pros to get the best price, only to discover Timmy maniacally laughing in his lair. Anyway, just as I had almost given up hope, it arrived. It was a bumpy announcement of same, though. I first of all got an email from DPD saying that they'd got my iPad. But that was before Apple had said they'd actually sent it. Uh, 
a day late and a dollar short, hey, Apple. Still, I'd actually much rather it had been with DPD than Apple. DPD are a safe pair of hands, as long as their driver doesn't need to stop for fuel on the way with your order. Now, obviously, COVID meant no running up and hugging the driver, despite my glee. Is that ever a thing? No, not really. It's always been too peopley out there for me. But I had it. Well, I had it after we'd done the COVID delivery dance. No, you, no, after you. No, no, put it that. No, I need to take a picture of it. That kind of thing. Um, now, the late night mail from DPD telling me that they actually had it meant there was a danger of my new toy being without clothes. But never fear, Amazon rode to the rescue with next day delivery on an order that I placed at 11 o'clock. I'd ordered a gel back style case with a pencil holder on it and a wraparound case identical to the one on my 11 inch 2018 iPad, which in turn, if you remember, was an identical copy of the Apple one for £12 instead of the usual, you know, about 150 plus a kidney. So uh, just a matter of waiting for those to arrive. Uh, I couldn't open any of the arrivals, though, without the must-have unboxing. So with all that in the can and my new toy was in my hands and set up in minutes, that was the one thing Apple actually did right. I placed the new iPad near the iPhone and everything was just set up. The only thing you had to do was enter the passcode for the phone. Uh, I only installed the absolutely necessary apps to get going and then a few more in the following week. Happy to report it's purring away nicely. Yes, it's blindingly fast. Uh, best use for me so far is during live sessions to follow the chat and have my delivery notes on the screen at the same time in split view. I generally prefer the 11 inch, but I went for the 12.9 this time because it's better to have a larger screen for creating courses on iPadOS apps. I also went for the one terabyte version purely for the fact that the one terabyte and two terabyte versions have got double the memory of the other versions. I actually don't think I'd ever need much more than 512. But then if I'm recording the screen, maybe. I don't know. So I'll, I'll see how that works out. But the double memory thing, not that that makes much of a difference at the moment because apps can't access all the memory that the iPad has. Hopefully that will be rectified in the future. So there you have it. Your new toy settled in nicely, eventually. And there may have been an element of grumpiness, but we're not going to talk about that anymore, are we? No! Uh, oh, we're talking about Map Bytes After Hours. We have another Map Bytes After Hours on Friday. We're checking out advanced scene creators. We're also covering Affinity Publisher. We're finishing off a Christmas layout. I know it's boiling hot. I know it's July, but if I don't start it now, it'll never get done. We're also having part three of our drafts sessions. So uh, we were on the desktop. We might head off into iOS this week. You never know. And some Excel from you. Yep, this week I'm taking what's often considered to be an advanced and scary topic, pivot tables, and stripping it right back to its basics. Sounds good. Also, more maroon shows this week as we enter week 70. We have just passed 490 shows in 490 days. I think that's what Siri calls a miracle, isn't it? Yes. Do join us every day at 7pm UK time at macbytes.fm. 
Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. Don't forget to join us in Slack. It's open 24-7 and it's completely free to join. It's macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and do join the conversation. We're also on Twitter. I am actually, I have been on Twitter more than ever in the last few weeks, haven't I? You have. So um, now would be a good time if you're on Twitter to say hello. So uh, MacBytes is on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. Well, when you say you're on Twitter. <laughs> I not, have an account. Not often. That's what he means. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Did you see the news? Are you kidding? It takes me all my time to keep an eye on the crew. What have they done now? Unbelievably, they have finally headed off to the studio to record a show. Have they not seen the news? What is it with the news that's got you giddy? There's an emergency weather warning. It's going to be the hottest day of the year. It's not a good day to lock them in the studio. I suppose I better go and rescue them. You'd better get some Factor 50 on if you're venturing in there. Factor 50? If you think I'm smothering my illuminated backside with sweet-smelling lubricant you can think again, woman. There is literally no answer to that.